Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. Something revolving Wherever may come The world keeps revolving They say the next big thing is here That the revolution's near But to me it seems quite clear That it's all just a little bit of history repeating
3CR, 8.55am, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand. Out of the Pan with Sally. First broadcasting noon through one every Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. 3CR proudly broadcasts from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello to any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people tuning in. And for that matter, First Nations people from all over the world, which is ultra relevant today, as we'll find out in a second. And acknowledge that all the lands on this continent and related islands were stolen and never ceded. And I'm Sally Goldner. I am your host for the show. I use the pronoun she, her, out of the Panna show, covering pansexual issues, queer stuff, um, well, past, present and future. Come to that in a second. I'm enticing you. Lots of ways to get in touch with the show. Um, as always, out of the pan 855 at gmail.com, SMS 61456751215, tweet at Sal Gold said so, and that's the bottom line, and look for posts on Facebook. My page, Sally Goldner AM and Out of the Pan 3CR 855 AM Melbourne. Remember, any opinions I express on the show are my own and not those of any organisation with which I am am or have been associated. Um, I can't tell the future on that one. Um, Of course, if you want to do snail mail, um, PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066, um, drop us a line. Uh, Don't think there'll be anything triggering on the show today. Um, but, um, so if needed though, we'll keep those uh, numbers, um, for counselling services in mind. Um, no thing is anything triggering because I, um, during the week I had the pleasure and also I did a great interview as well. Someone has to keep the Bert Newton, Daryl Summers jokes going and it looks like it's going to be me. Seriously, I had the chance to chat with two people doing a wonderful digital archiving project of queer history, one of whom comes from the, um, country now known as Indonesia and Haritz and Bo were fabulous guests unfortunately um, the Haritz and the Indonesian team were flying out of um, this continent today leaving Nam behind Um, so we had to do hit the pre-record buttons but it was a wonderful chat and um, without further ado let's dive in. Two guests who are combining on an archiving project that goes across borders. Um, it is my pleasure first to welcome Haritz to Thracia. Hi, nice to meet you. And if it's okay to ask, can I just check in if you do use any pronouns, um, which ones they are? Yeah, uh, my pronouns are Hide. Thanks for checking in on that. And Bo. Hello, nice to meet you. And your pronouns that you use, if any? He, him. So we've got a range of people in the studio, but actually, it's inter- you know, that first question, you know, interestingly already led us to a debate that, um, you know, about language and culture that, um, you know, sometimes um, in various cultures, and we'll come to um, all of your your cultures and languages, Aritz, is um, that sometimes pronouns aren't gendered <laughs> in yours, yeah. Yeah, in my mother tongue, Indonesian, uh, pronouns aren't gendered, we just only have one pronoun, uh, like third-person pronouns, uh, like dia, uh, and it's gender-neutral. So, um, And sometimes we use it even for um, um, living beings that are not human. Like uh, Sometimes I just call my cat with the same pronouns as me. Mm-hmm. I, I also love it about uh, it makes all Indonesian love songs um, yeah. potentially queer because there's no pronouns used in mm-hmm. love songs. So. Just like... 
I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know you've you you know we've just touched on really really good points mm. that um, you know um, that um, you know it's the you know language is a problem you know is is limiting us in relation to gender um, on so many things and so many you know love songs particularly in the Western contest or pop and rock songs were mm. seem to be written largely in a heteronormative way and yet. Um, uh, by not having pronouns, um, you've just um, gone right through that, which is really awesome. Yeah, everything is potentially gay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess it gives so much more power to the, like the listener, right? Mm. You can kind of really bring your own self into more songs in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and we all need visibility, affirmation, and to feel seen. Mm. You're here on this continent um, for an exciting archive project or just about coming to the end of that visit. Um, Tell us a bit about the project, Therese. So uh, Queer Indonesia Archive uh, is an archive, a digital archive. Um, uh, We started it in 2019 uh, when Bo and I uh, met in Bali. Um, But the pandemic started and we kind of switched places. I went back to Indonesia. I was doing my master in Sydney at the time. Um, and Bo had to go back to Melbourne. So we kind of worked uh, apart from different continents, just um, trying to find stuff that's already on the internet and um, catalog them and uh, find missing pieces of information that we can look for, such as name, names of key figures uh, queer organization existing in the past, queer events that like, happened in the past. Um, and yeah, um, it's been two years, and um, actually this is the third time we met in person, because yes. we always work uh, to the internet. <laughs> well, look, it's that damn pandemic disrupting life as we knew it, um, and changing things so much, and I mean, it's so much the case that we just didn't really have that chance to meet in person, exchange the full body language and energy, and now we at least have choices to a large extent or a larger extent, I think might be the way to put it again, which is really, really important. Mm. And, um, Bo, how did you sort of, um, you know, sort of, um, what's your background into this project? How does that connect in just so we put all the pieces together? Uh, So I've worked for the last... 10 years or so in HIV prevention and care and support for people living with HIV. Uh Um, And at the end of 2019, I was working with an organization called Yaya Sangai Dewata in Bali, Mm -hmm. um, who are one of the oldest, uh, you know, gay and uh, trans women organizations in Bali. Um, And they were moving office and they happened to pull out a a collection of photo albums from one of their back storerooms that I, I had never seen in all my time working there. And we sat down and, you know, I was getting the stories of the various photos that had been kept in these albums um, from activities the, the group was doing in the 1990s. Wow. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I always say I, I learned more about the history of the organization in one afternoon just through those photos than I had in my entire time working there. Um, so I, you know, I spoke to my boss and I was like, uh, you know, because the... The uh, a storeroom in the tropics had not been kind to these um, mm. photo albums, so I asked my boss if it would be okay if I I went I took them to get them digitized, and I guess that's the you know the the small pebble that started rolling down the hill that turned yeah, into yeah. this project. 
Yeah, so I mean, photos of events or people running organisations, what sort of things were the photos of? Um, you, um, because traditionally, um, the community, uh, for the transformed community, it has been pageant show, beauty pageants, and also volleyball tournament. Um, uh-huh. Volleyball is uh, uniquely quite popular with uh, gay men and trans women in Indonesia. We have... Uh, you know, uh, volleyball tournaments uh, with um, trans women and uh, gay men community, and I think uh, the trans women community community of Indonesia almost sent a team to the queer game in New York. Gay games in, gay New, games York in New York in the 90s. Yeah, almost happened. It almost happened. Uh-huh. Yeah, but then uh, we got sent. Um, there, w- there is this one anthropologist from the U.S., uh, Tom Bolstroff, who did his research on uh, gay men in Indonesia during the early 90s, uh, early 2000. And he scanned a lot of uh, community publication from the uh, LGBTQ plus uh, organizations in Indonesia from early 80s to early 2000s. And um, he kind of donated those scans and it became the basis, the initial collection of our archive. Yeah. Mm. And we started uh, calling out for volunteers and it's been really amazing because there has been a lot of interest from younger Indonesians, both queer and straight allies and also from uh, Indonesian diaspora, um, uh-huh. uh, Indonesian abroad uh, to this project and they ag- helped us in so many ways, uh, such as researching the uh, community publication, like I said before, um, finding out who to contact, what happened. And it kind of went on from there, right? Yeah, I think we've had a, you know, a bit over 100 volunteers um, involved yeah. in the project so far. Um, and yeah, essentially what uh, the the kind of model we're using at the moment is um, we're identifying key cities, um, you know, that were hotbeds of activism in the, the 80s and 90s. And then we will go there um, and essentially do a, a field trip. So mm. um, three or four of us will go um, meet up with um, um, the older generation of activists. We conduct oral histories with them. Um, we help them digitize anything they're willing to donate to the collection. So their photos, their papers. Um, and, yeah, we kind of work with them to also try and get a bigger picture of, um, you know, the the movement um, over time in their city. Because, you know, Indonesia is a huge country and each city kind of has mm. its own own history that, that's happened. Yeah. And also, uh, we started collecting oral histories because uh-huh. uh, we realized that uh, if we only focus on material things, uh, there's there will be a lot of gaps because mm. uh, a lot of community activities are not documented in like magazines or writings or photos. Yeah. So we have to um, look for other ways to fill in the gaps in information, and um, oral history um, is one of the ways to do that. Mm. Um, we are, um, how do you say this, racing with time? <laughs> because um, the generation that uh, mm. were active in the 80s and the ni- early 90s there uh, are quite advanced in age now. Yep. And uh, we are living in a pandemic. So we, um, you know, 
it's a bit of tricky situation like we want to meet them before it's too late but also uh is it safe for us to meet them mm. you know yeah oh look a very a very delicate situation trying yeah. to balance your safety there's physically mentally everything else um you were going to come in there by or yeah i was just going to say i think um one of the one of the reasons why you know we've had so many volunteers interested in being part of this project especially um uh younger people is that for a lot of them they they have no way to access this history of the 80s and 90s mm. um and you know a lot of young um lgbtq plus uh people in indonesia they really kind of were feeling like they were the first generation of people um you know fighting this struggle for kind of recognition and fighting against discrimination um and so to be able to kind of um not only record um these older histories but also make it accessible to the younger generation so they can you know see themselves as you know part of a longer struggle yeah. um has been really important uh and you know i think a lot of people are getting a lot out of that kind of inter yeah. intergenerational conversation that started to happen out of the archive. Yeah, I always think like before I started this project, um just like what Bo said, I always think that um we're the first, uh but now, you know, we know better. <laughs> And I think um to imagine a better future, you have to know the past. Like Absolutely. I feel like after um working on this project and um you know just talking to the elders of the community it just feels so much more grounded you know like i have a place in my community um indonesian society hasn't been the most queer friendly places place mm-hmm. to be so uh yeah just to see uh older gay men older trans women existing and living their life it kind of gives you a sense of hope that a future is possible mm. yep Yeah. Yeah, look, totally totally agree with that. I'm a, I'm a huge believer um in the t- concept of intergenerational learning. I just think it helps. It's like it's communication. It understands um it leads to greater understanding. And there are gaps. Um you know, I, I'm reminded as you were speaking of a experience I had it's around five years ago where I went to speak to a group of queer high school students in Melbourne's northwestern suburbs for what it was. And they didn't understand that we hadn't had any anti-discrimination law in Victoria at the state level since it um, didn't come in until 2004 LGBT and it's been upgraded um, as of about last year to be more comprehensive on non-binary and intersex people and or we didn't have it federally until 2013 and they just thought it had sort of always been there mm-hmm. and it helped them understand that maybe some older trans women may be stressed or upset or perhaps have lost hope a bit or and older queer people sometimes it can be very hard to uh, move beyond a sense of oh it's always going to be a bit negative and i think it's a great a great learning thing so i think this is really really awesome and then to you know talk to, obviously talk to people get those experiences as well is just mm-hmm. sensational but you do There we go talking with um Harits and Bo about their joint um queer archiving project Harits from Queer Indonesia Archives and um have more of that chat after we have some appropriate music given that we're talking islands in the Pacific and region here's Christina Nu 3CR 855 AM 3CR digital 
3cr.org.au, 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally and guest Haritz and Bo.
20 Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside, I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcast. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. Well, all the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what, that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app. Tune into the Celtic Fog Show every Tuesday at 3pm with me, and McAllister. Three CR eight five five AM, three CR digital, three CR dot org dot AU, three CR on demand, out of the pan with Sally. First broadcasting noon through one every Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. And prior to the messages, we heard from Christine Arnoux and My Island Home, appropriate today for our interview about queer archive, the Queer Digital Archiving Project from Queer Indonesia Archives. Uh, let's go back to part two of our discussion with Haritz and Bo. And we left off talking about intergenerational learning. Let's pick it up there again. Touch on a really, you know, a really sensitive topic that, you know, from we, uh, you know, again, we sometimes in... Even in a world where there is greater communication now with these marvellous things called internet and social media, sometimes you know a country mightn't get an accurate picture of life in another country, or mm. they think they um, perhaps know what what to do, and there's this saviour complex mm. or something. And I, if it's okay to ask, and I will definitely say that, what is life like as much as you can see it on the ground for? people, um, I'll use the word queer people in Indonesia, but please also mention the various um, cultures and languages that exist in queer, but what is is day-to-day life, how does it go, and this is obviously your opinion and your perception. Yeah, um, well, I live in the capital, right, so it would be really different if it's on a different island or mm-hmm. even like in the next city, it would be really different, and of course... Uh, Things like your class, your race, your uh, relig- religion uh, mm-hmm. will also factor into your experience. But uh, yeah, um, so my background is uh, I'm half Japanese, half Sundanese, which is the largest and the second largest ethnic group in my country. And my family uh, are Muslim, which is the majority religion in my mm-hmm. country. And I live in the capital in a middle class family. So um, it's been... All right, because you know my my cis maleness kind of protects me, mm. and then uh, I could be straight passing if I tried to. Uh, but it would be really dif- um, it would be really different yeah. if you're 
uh, visibly an effeminate man or you're a trans person. Yeah. Um, but the general thing, I think, uh, as long as you don't uh, call for attention to yourself, mm-hmm. um, you could do pretty much anything. Yeah. Uh, in Jakarta, the capital city, there are gay bars and, of course, uh, you know, things like you find here in Melbourne, drag shows. Uh, mm-hmm. you, um, but it's a bit more underground and yeah. um, there's always this risk of getting raided. Um, a lot of all of the saunas are have been raided in like 2016 and they are closed. Um, um, but yeah, day to day, I don't. I don't know. Um, it's for me. It has been a neutral experience. Of course, maybe because I have normalized it so much. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you come to my place and uh, see the way I'm living, like, oh, this is horrible. But for me, it's like you know, just normal things. Um, but yeah, I've seen. I have friends who are long-term couples living together. Uh, actually, in 2019, uh, this. Two men, Indonesian men, just came to Melbourne, get married here, and then come back to Indonesia. Just that. But, of course, they are, you know, from an, a more upper-class family. Mm. If you're working class, it would be a very different experience. And uh, where you live really matters, too, because uh, I know this. Uh, one of the province, uh, last year or two years ago, they just elected the first uh, trans woman uh, village councillor. Wow. Yeah, uh, and it's something that could happen there, but would be unthinkable where I live, mm. because uh, it's just so different. Um, Indonesia is technically uh, a unitary republic, but the government is decentralizing a lot, so okay. um, it's a bit more American right now. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it's important. I guess to contextualize, you know, Indonesia is the fourth biggest country on the planet mm. in terms of population. You know, it has hundreds of ethnic groups. It has hundreds of language groups. Um, and so each province can actually be a very different um, kind of experience and place than yeah. any other one. Um, another important thing that, to note um, is that nationally there are no laws that criminalize homosexuality in Indonesia. Oh. Um, um, it's very. Uh, it depends a lot on which city or which province you live in. Like some city, they criminalize uh, homosexuality, but um, mostly only between men or men and trans women. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, there's one province, um, Aceh, which has um, special um, status in the in the country that mm. does criminalize on a province level um, mm-hmm. homosexuality and I'm sure some of the listeners would have uh, would remember some images from a few years ago of yeah. gay men getting caned yep. in Aceh um, but yeah other than that the, on a legal uh, systems level there's not yeah, there's, there's not direct laws but there yeah. you know there's a very far reaching porno- um, anti-pornography law that often mm. gets used yeah. against queer communities mm. um and, you know, increasingly now there's a big push for criminalization of um, homosexuality or criminalization of all sex outside of a marriage. Oh. Um, so, you know, and 
that's just something that's been floating in the background yeah. now of Indonesian politics for quite a few years. But I think it's also uh, good to notice that um, just because a law existed in Indonesia doesn't mean it's enforced. Yeah. And sometimes they just have the law there and um, they only use it if you're in a bad position with the government or if you piss off... Um, You cannot say that here. Yes, you can. Yeah. Oh, okay. If you okay, like uh, annoys a government official or some rich person, okay. yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, you know, which like it, in some ways is good because you're like, okay, well, you know, even though there's this terrible law, it's not going to be heavily enforced. Mm. But also, you know, it gives the um, the government and the powers that be a lot of power to kind of harass and annoy any ac activists or mm. anyone that's kind of rocking the boat too much. Because mm. essentially, a lot of these laws are so far-reaching that, you know, most people, if put under a microscope, you could find, you know, something or other to arrest them on. Uh, you know, important, you know, one, I, one example I always use is that, you know, um, taking any uh, nude photos of yourself even if you don't send it to anyone else is against could, law yeah yeah could oh, be gosh. technically seen as the creation of pornography so oh. you know it's yeah there's very few of us that um you know haven't haven't had a moment with a a camera these days mm. so yeah um yeah well I, i mean i mean that you know con you know brings up all sorts of things in my mind i mean what if it's let's say you have a medical injury or injuries and they need to take photos of it i mean You know, that sounds like it could be twisted incredibly yeah. dangerously. Yeah. yeah. I, there's a couple of question things that come out of that conversation for me. I mean, as a, what in, we on this continent, so-called Australia, call a trans person. I mean, what sort of, are there any laws enabling, you know, recognition of trans people in their, it's going to, if I can use my words for a second, authentic or affirmed gender? Mm. So, okay, if you are assigned male at birth, can you change your birth certificate Or is that not possible? It has happened, and uh, not too often, but it has happened. Like the first person to legally change their gender, um, her name, Vivian? Vivian Rubianti. Yeah, uh, it happened in the late 70s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so she was actually quite a famous case. Um, she uh, was a, I, um, I would probably place her like upper middle class mm. um, woman who... Uh, ran a very successful makeup beauty yeah, salon. Beauty mm, yeah. salon. Um, she had had um, uh, like gender affirmation surgery in Singapore, mm -hmm. and then returned to Indonesia mm -hmm. and um, petitioned the government um, to allow her to change her her documentation to to match her gender. She was successful. Mm. Okay. Um, and yeah, she um, you know. Kind of, I guess, was... It was a very high-profile, uh, yeah. you know... Yeah, she actually ended up having a... A, a movie. A movie made about her where mm. that she starred in called Akula... I Vivian. am Vivian. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we ha um, in her later life, not too many people know um, what happened to her, yeah. apart from the fact that she did eventually move to Australia. Oh, okay. Um, and... 
I think the last whispers we heard was that she was based in Perth. Yeah, Perth. Um, so if anyone knows um, Vivi Rubianti in Perth, please do let us yeah, know. Yeah, please come back. We us. would love yeah. to yeah. speak mm. to her. Well, uh, um, well <laughs> I'd have to say I'd love to as well. That would yeah. be um, amazing. There we go, part two of our interview with Haritz and Bo about the Queer Indonesian Archive Project and the joint project that they have here, which is covering the whole of the rainbow, and we'll get to a surprise ending on relation to that in a minute, I suppose. Or not so much in a minute. I'm going to have to stop and have our today's episode of Pacific X, some relevant music thereafter, and then come back with the third and final part of my chat with uh, about the Queer Indonesian Archives. In the meantime, let's, um, as I say, have a listen to the latest episode from the crew from Pacific X. Aloha, Womanjaka, and hello. We are PX Fano, a Pacifica LGBTIQ podcast created during the COVID 19 pandemic as a voice for our community, informing and promoting good health and keeping our rainbow Fano safe from COVID. This is presented by the Pacific X Collective and produced on Wurundjeri land in the studios of 3CR in Nam, Melbourne. Halofa, g'day and welcome. We have a very special VIP guest in the house. Hi everyone, thank you for having me on. My name is July, spelled J-U-L-A-I, and I am a queer Pacifica artist from the southeastern suburbs of Nam, and my pronouns are he, they. So July, I just want to welcome you to the show. July has a background in performing arts and music. So I know everyone's going crazy hearing his voice. (laughs) And so, July, today we actually want to hear about your experience during the time of COVID. How did that affect you? It gave me time to really explore myself as an artist because obviously prior to COVID and lockdown, we were working constantly. It would be like four days of work and then the the rest two days of like exploring myself, my artistry, um, my expression. So like lockdown and having time now to really think about what I want to do, how I want to express myself was actually amazing. And like, I feel like low key a curse, but a blessing, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Also because like I'm also in House of Divine. So it gave me time to explore my expression through Vogue Femme. But music-wise, the first COVID was actually when I started doing music properly. And I dropped my first track called Coffee and Sex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a bit fussy. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was was a great outcome to COVID for me personally. Just wanted to ask, like, are you still working wow, coffee great, and sex? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I actually quit my job two months ago, I would say. So um, now I'm doing music full time with my team. Awesome. I'm um, shout out Nicole and Davina. I actually quit my job to now pursue my career, my passions. So, but I'm also sorry. I also have a home business that I run with my mom. Shout out mom Ooh. called J Squared, and we do garment printing. Now I've started to invest in myself. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of benefits that came out of it, like a lot of investing into ourselves, figuring out how we're going to make money. I mean, obviously, we got the support from the government and whatnot. But, um, you know, it gave us time to start thinking about 
okay, what are we actually doing? What do we want to do? Music as well was a thing that came about because my brothers do music. I think us being together in the garage, we st- I stay in the garage. So we're in the garage and we're like, okay, what are we going to do to pass time? And then they were doing music and I was like, let me jump on the track and like just try this. And then I did it. And then that Coffee and Sex ended up leading me to like now, like I'm yeah. going to be dropping a track soon. And Amazing. I've been doing a lot of performances and stuff. So like I said, it was a curse, but a blessing. Yeah. And, so. and finally, I just wanted to ask, do you have any advice for any of our listeners? I would say, obviously, we've we've done all the thinking during lockdown, a lot of, you know, time to think about our lives and what we're doing. And I think now is the best time to, like, action it, like, put those manifestations, put those, you know, the planning during lockdown to action now and, like, go for your dreams because we're, we're in a good place now. Yeah. Go out there, live your dreams, live your best life, look back and be like, I'm happy and I did what I wanted to do. Thank you so much for your time today, July. Thank you for having me. And we we love you. We love your music. We love everything that you do, even House of Divine. Thank you, July. We love you. Thank you so much. Love you. You've been listening to PX Fano with the Pacific X Collective, speaking about keeping COVID safe and what that means to the Pacifica LGBTIQA plus community For more of the latest information about COVID, go to www.health.gov.au. Listen and download our episodes from 3cr.org.au forward slash pxfano. And to find out more about who we are, go to pacificx.com. PX Fano would like to thank the Victorian Government Multicultural Communications Outreach Program for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Our theme music is performed and produced by Vina. Catch us again next week on Out of the Pan on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am.
Funny got me a new ride and I like that. Clap rock diamonds in a chain and I give you good brain. You my daddy ain't like that. And I get what I want. Louis the Gucci, the back of the truck. Feel to the brain for a bitch like me. Money in the sky and a brain on me. Facts on facts and I'm real, I see. Watch out, this and bling. 24 carats and scene. Uh, living on a bitch like me. Uh, dripping and swimming in gold. Up on these bitches, I'm out of control. Rocking my diamonds and rocking my pearls. She laughing the vine and I'm rapping my girls. Three CR eight five five AM. Three CR digital. Three CR dot org dot au. Three CR on demand. Out of the pan with Sally. First broadcasting noon through one every Sunday afternoon, and we just heard from July and coffee and sex. And um, July was the guest on the Pacific X podcast today, and you can catch that as part of the Out of the Pan podcast, and also on Three CR's website at three CR dot org dot au. So let's bring all the islands together and come back with part three, uh, the final part of my interview on the discussion on the Indonesian Queer Archiving Project with Bo and Haritz. A question that came out of our conversation is, we sometimes hear of the term allies, and yeah. I'm thinking in terms of allyship, what would, um, from your point of view, can people in Australia do to do, and I always say and not do, that would make them good allies to our queer family in Indonesia, is there, and if there is anything? Huh. I mean, um, the most practical thing to do is to, you know, um, donate money, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we just had a really interesting point of talking uh, yesterday when Bo is writing a grant for an event in Australia. Like, it's the event is only for a night, but the amount of money in that grant could fund a year of program in Indonesia. Mm. So, um, yeah, and um, we've been doing fundraising here uh, each year during Bo's birthday. <laughs> and um, it actually funded uh, the three of us from Indonesia to here, like, for our uh, pocket money during uh, this yeah. trip. So, um, a lot of um Indonesians uh, queer activists are getting more um tech savvy in a way they know how to utilize the internet for a more global network and uh during the pandemic i've seen um indonesian diaspora uh including in australia um shared um donations and open call for fundraisings that happen in Indonesia. Mm. Um, yeah, your $10 could feed a person for the whole day. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I guess, you know, especially over the COVID-19 pandemic, um, obviously it was uh, often queer communities that were um, very, um, uh, very much hit financially. I think mm. especially mm. Um, working class. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trans women um, uh, who often, you know, make their money either through street performance mm -hmm. or, um, you know, a, a lot of sex workers really struggle to yep. make monies as well. And just in the way that, um, I guess, aid is distributed in Indonesia, it's normally through a family unit uh, model. So a lot of queer, um, queer folk uh, are kind of left out yep. of that. Um, so yeah, I guess if anyone's interested in supporting, um, you know, key organizations that do advocacy work in Indonesia, um, there's an organization called Aras Palangi, um, who are based in Jakarta, or there is, uh, Swarakita 
in um, Jakarta also. Um, another famous organization is Gaya Nusantara, based in Surabaya, um, and they all do incredible work. Um, I guess in terms of um, our project, um, I guess I, if you know, we're always really interested in any um, queer Australians that um, travelled to Indonesia in the um, 80s and 90s and 2000s, uh, especially those who um, took their cameras with them and kind of documented any um, mm. aspects of queer life. Mm. Um, you know, uh, cameras and photography was quite expensive in Indonesia in the 80s mm. and 90s. So, um, And, again, the, the tropics aren't very kind to material yeah. objects. So, you know, sometimes we, you know, struggle to get the the kind of material history. So, mm. you know, if you're going to, you know, the early gay bars of Bali in the 80s, um, you know, look us up and send us a line. We would love to kind of see your holiday snaps. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, a few things that this show can do that can hopefully assist. Um, gladly, I'll put the links to any charities and organisations or you know, advocacy organisations in mm. the link to the podcast of this show and people can follow through and donate there or any other um, funding campaigns that there are there and always stay in touch with us. And um, you know, perhaps there's one of two ways. Either they can email me at Out of the Pan with, um, if they want to get in touch with you or if you're willing to give um, an email address, um, we can put that into the podcast link and you can email direct rather than uh, having to hit the forward button for me. Mm. Um, you know, and I think that I'm sure, I'm sure there are those photos. Um, you know, and it's just interesting there's been a theme throughout our conversation of you know, class, wealth, income because although, yes, the amount of wealth um, in Australia which you touched on is you know, more available, as you mentioned, by the grant, Listening to some of the stories we had during the pandemic from sex workers and queer people in hospi hospitality and entertainment mm -hmm. where we earn income, there were obviously differences in degree, but the nature seemed very parallel here, mm -hmm. um, which just struck me as you were talking there. And um, also um, coming up after this interview, we've got another episode from the team from Pacific X um, mm -hmm. who are talking about um, life during the pandemic um, here from the queer and islander perspective. So um, very, you know, and you know, just I've been, you know, we're sort of at around two-thirds of the way through that series of episodes and, yeah, going lots of parallels, which I hope in a way brings us closer together and stronger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think if there's anything from the archive we've learnt um, in terms of, I guess, activism and um, movement is that, you know, the biggest lesson from the past is how effective and important um, solidarity across movements and across mm. borders mm. is for, you know, anything succeeding. Um, and, you know, I I hope, you know, archives like this, you know, both let us learn that from past movements, um, but also kind of, yeah, make these histories more accessible to, um, you know, communities across borders. Yeah. Yep. Well, look, it's just before we wrap it up, is there anything else that you wanted to add um, about your trip um, that you've been here? Anything else that you keep doing? And perhaps the, the question that I, um, as the first two, and then the other third, I'll go with those two first, and there's one last question that um, I might want to add. Um, yeah, I think uh, we had really great time here in Australia. Um, we did two talks. Uh, the first one was in um, the Postcolonial Institute 
of University of Melbourne mm-hmm. um, on Friday, and on Saturday we did uh, this um, workshop with uh, Australia Queer Archive yeah. in the Pride Center. Um, yeah, so it's been nice uh, working with. Um, international institutions and mm. it's been nice to visit the sister archive of Australia Queer Archive and learn so much about their history and how it just formed. Um, of course, it's a bit different because we're a digital archive, but uh, yeah, it's it's been nice uh, just to connect with uh, similar groups and um, meet people in Australia. Yeah. Well, look, um, very, very much so, and you know, a huge um, credit. Um, Australian queer archives, um, you know, do amazing work, and mm. uh, I'm thinking that someone who's been, who was involved in their work for so long, and probably still is, Graham Willett, would hopefully hear this interview and uh-huh. be smiling from ear to ear. Um, who's just done so much work, and they've just become such a huge part of the community in Australia and here in Nam slash Melbourne. Mm. Um, the last question I was going to ask is, um, if I may. What would like if life was ideal for you in Indonesia? What would it look like? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, if it, life uh, is ideal for me in Indonesia, I would be um, running the archive. Uh, mm. It won't be a digital archive. We would have like a whole building, maybe an old townhouse in downtown Jakarta, just filled with mm. archive with materials, old, old photos. There will be a lot of cats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I will be in a polyamorous open relationships with exciting people. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. It sounds right. like we've got some parallels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the archivist is in me is just like, oh my god, cats and an archivist is yeah. like the worst combination. Well, they are same cats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, material respectful cats. Mm. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, you'd have to have some spare boxes left out so they could fall asleep, and then they um, hope they'd probably still fall asleep on the photos or yeah. something. But you know, they yeah. um, you know maybe if they if you put out a few extras, they'll just pick the empty ones, and you'll be able to get on with the archiving. <laughs> Uh, well, look, it's just been an absolute pleasure to have you both in, and I've got to thank um, the 3CR team for putting us in touch as well. Um, every success, every joy with everything that you do, and, um, yeah, safe travels, and um, hopefully see you again one day, and, of course, just stay in touch um, with the show if there is anything you wish to get out to us as well. Yeah, thanks, Sally, for inviting us. It's been a lovely time talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. There it was, uh, an interview with Haritz Ambo from um, um, from Queer Indonesia Archives. Bo has a background in HIV, and that's how he met um, Haritz. And also there was a team of people covering the whole of the rainbow out there, but I, lost, I have to say a bit of fun with that ending. Oh, I can dream about having a, well, a mansion with lots of cats and... Um, um, lots of lovers and then I'll wake up or something like that. Anyway, I've got to get um, wrapping up the show. Thanks to Michaela from 3CR for putting me in touch with the crew there and we'll we'll get those links up. If they're not up today um, to the show, um, then um, we'll get them. um, um, I can always update the podcast links later on, so keep checking in or put them in in future links um, underneath the um, posts on social media for the show. Uh, that just about wraps it up. But you did hear, um, if you haven't paid your Radiothon donation, um, please do so. 
uh, but um, happily can report Out of the Pan has achieved its target. Thank you to our wonderful donors. Um, um, won't name without permission, but a couple of them know who they are who um, helped us get there. Thank you so much for your contributions. Um, thank you to everyone, whether it was $2 or whatever, um, any greater amount. Um, very much appreciated. And if um, you haven't... Um, you know, donated yet and still want to check out um, some of the other shows. Um, I think Freedom of Species and possibly Queering the Air um, still have to reach their targets. So give them a call. Talking of Freedom of Species, um, well, they've got a show with Bite, Boom Boom Tish, um, Drumroll, etc. Today, um, Freedom of Species will be discussing vampires and veganism, analysing True Blood, Buffy, Twilight, The Vampire Diaries and more from an animal rights perspective. Um, so get your teeth into that. Oh, gosh, I'd better get out of here before someone throws tomatoes at me or something. Well, it's vegetarian. Anyway, um, take it out today very, very quickly with, um, just because we heard from the Celtic Folk Show, we'll keep it diverse musically um, today with um, a bit of um, the Magnificent Seven and Tubular Cowbells. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. Electric guitar. Yeah, I know, accordion.